0: Hello and welcome to series three of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast I'm delighted to be joined by Carrie Westerman. Carrie is a knitwear designer, writer and storyteller who is based in Scotland. You can find a link to Carrie's website and Instagram account and all of the patterns that we discuss in the show notes. Hey Carrie,
1: welcome to the podcast. Hi Mia, thank you for asking me to participate.
0: You're very welcome. Um, I always start the podcast with asking where your story with knitting began.
1: I began, uh, well the story begins really I think when I was about four or five I was uh, taught to knit by my great grandmother, uh, who lived on what is essentially a croft in the middle of nowhere in rural Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and she taught me to knit. I remember sitting on the little sort of padded seat next to the kerosene stove, which was the only source of heating in the house. Um, and she taught me the first couple of stitches. Uh, the knits and the pearls, but I must admit that I didn't really enjoy knitting until much later. I was taught to crochet as well by one of my aunts and that was a lot faster and I didn't need to count as much. So as a child, I was much more of a crocheter, but knitting for me began when I was four or five in a very cold, old cottage.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's really early. And you Mm. managed to pick it up then? I did. I
1: it. did. Yeah. Um, my entire family were always very creative, very um, sort of focused on making stuff. It was a very poor family, so we couldn't really afford all that much, but we could make stuff. So wow. I was taught to knit. I was taught to crochet. I was taught to embroider. I was taught to mend. And I was taught to dress make all before I turned seven.
0: Wow. Yeah. And how many of those have you carried on with?
1: All of them, actually.
0: Wow. Uh also cook.
1: I don't fillet fish anymore, but I remember as an eight-year-old filleting fish. Wow. Yeah, it was it was quite something. And I'm thinking back upon it now, going maybe I should never have access to those knives at age eight. But um, but yeah, craft and making was always a big thing for me growing up. Um mm. and I still do all those things to some degree.
0: And was the focus more on, um, so you mentioned not having so much money, was the focus more on this is something you have to do in order to have stuff to wear, like making usable things, or was it also about it being something that could be nice to do?
1: It was both about making stuff to wear uh, or growing things to eat and so on. It was about survival, I think, because um, my family had lived through the Great Depression and the Nazi occupation of Denmark in the 30s and 40s and my great-grandmother brought up 11 children wow. of her own and seven stepkids, 18 children in one little household and they were living off the land so I think by the time I came around it was sort of ingrained in everybody that you had to learn these things to survive but at the same time it was a mode of self-expression I didn't see that at the time I can see that now but at at the time it was also a way for them to sort of express themselves and 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 make a mark using that word deliberately making up their mark though they weren't financially well off
0: okay so you think it was for them as well a way of kind of expressing themselves Absolutely,
1: mm. absolutely I mean you had people painting as well and doing sculpting and Um, Even though things like gardening was was more an expression of needing to survive, it was still also, you know, something about making something that's pleasing. I will say, though, that one of my earliest memories is of making trousers out of curtains. And I was so embarrassed about it, having to go to school wearing curtain
2: trousers.
0: Mm. And... Is that something now? Like, does that affect your making now when you think about choosing fabrics?
1: Not at all. I mean, when I think about making now and I sort of look back upon what making meant to me as a child, there's a very big difference because back then it was part of necessity. It was not always something that was enjoyable because I do remember my great-grandmother sitting in front of the kerosene stove unraveling uh, sweaters and re-knitting, uh jumpers and I cannot imagine that would have been very much a uh, uh, sort of something you'd do for fun hmm. um, whereas now I can choose my own materials and have fun with it and it's indulgence rather than a necessity
0: hmm. did you make the, your own trousers the ones out of curtains when you yeah. were going to school well wow. did you think, feel a sense of achievement because that sounds pretty amazing to be still going Not, to school and have done yeah. that
1: Not really, because it's such a natural thing for my family to be doing. Everybody's making stuff. So it wasn't until much later when I sort of uh, became much older and I realized that other children didn't wear stuff that they'd made themselves that I thought, huh, okay. For me, it was still tied up in shame. But the older I got, the more I realized, hang on, I can actually do this. Um, and by the time I had stumbled into university, um, I I joined uh, an amateur theatrical society and I volunteered to do costumes because I realized I was the only one who could actually make stuff.
0: Wow, so that was, it was something that made you different when you were a kid and that didn't feel like a nice difference and then later on it became a positive difference.
1: Yeah, but absolutely and today when I sort of sit and think about it, I think about making as an act of agency. Mm. Um, It's something you can make, you can make stuff pretty much out of nothing and have something to show for yourself. I'm sure we'll touch upon this later on. But uh, there's definitely definite difference in how I perceive making and knitting and dressmaking and all those things today as opposed to when I was a kid and I just wore a sweatshirt like everybody else.
0: When mm. I yeah. And I'm sure it makes a big difference that you have choices now and, yes. you know, about your materials and it's not mm-hmm. just there is this fabric and that's what there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you carry on the whole way through making, like, knitting? making with the times where you didn't do it and then came back to
1: it well I can I this is going into a completely different territory um but I was not allowed to dress myself as a child and it wasn't until I was like 15 I was allowed to choose my own clothes um and up until I was about 15 I carried on making dolls clothes <laughs> even way beyond the point where I was playing with dolls I would make quite intricate outfits for my dolls. Possibly, we can sort of psychoanalyse now and say that's possibly because I couldn't make, uh, choose my own clothes. Mm. I could choose what my dolls were wearing or these people, uh, these, uh, well, dolls would be wearing. Um, So I continued dressmaking and crocheting and knitting. These miniature garments up until I was about 15. And I carried on doing a few things. But once I hit mid teens, I was like, oh no, this is not cool. Mm -hmm. You know, this is too weird. Um, But I got back into knitting first time when a friend of mine felt pregnant in her mid 20s. I think that's a very common story. Then you sort of sit down and you make something for the baby. And then obviously I did the Amdram but apart from that it wasn't until my mid-30s that I got back into making stuff
0: and what do you think what happened around that time that kind of attracted you to it in your Mm mid-30s do you think
1: that is an entire story um I live with an invisible illness chronic illness and I was in bed for nine months um, and I couldn't do a thing I couldn't read I couldn't which I've always loved doing I couldn't watch TV I couldn't listen to music I couldn't do a thing and my partner and our husband came in and said didn't you tell me you used to knit and he went down to the local yarn shop and uh, picked up some yarn and some needles and I was lying there in bed going, I, I don't remember how to do this. Could you get me the laptop so I at least can try to cast on a couple of stitches? And he said, Kerry, look at your hands. And my hands were casting on. Oh wow. Which was an incredible feeling because at that stage, um, my memory was really bad. My cognitive abilities were so poor. My body remembered Mm. how to cast on. And that's when I sort of went, oh my God, I can actually do something. That's when this whole making as agency came to me that I could suddenly knit a couple of stitches. I Mm. could suddenly, you know, form knits and pearls and you know maybe I couldn't do a whole thing a whole row one day but I can knit a couple of stitches and then those became rows and then suddenly I had a scarf and that's when I came back into knitting where I sort of realized that I could make something happen even though I was completely powerless and very ill at that point I could make things and it was such a powerful experience
0: hmm. what did it feel like when you saw your hands casting on
1: it felt so strange because my brain, so that part of my brain that I am actively aware of did not remember how to do it. But my hands, my muscle memory, I yeah. had, mem- had that knowledge that I thought I'd lost. It's, my body still possessed that knowledge. That was incredible.
0: I've had a similar thing actually with playing the clarinet that I played up until I was maybe... 17 and then you know a few years ago in my late 30s picked it up and I couldn't didn't know how to read music obviously I used to be able mm-hmm. to do all those things but somehow my hands could still remember some, to do some of the yeah. notes weirdly
1: it, it's I've, I've talked to people about this afterwards and they say that's because memories are stored in diff- different types mm-hmm. of memories are stored in different types of parts of our brain so if we sort of lose access or have Limited access to one part of our brain, another part of our brain may be able to remember it. My gran had a stroke about five years ago and she forgot a lot of things, but she still remembered how to knit. And that's again, that's sort a of part of the brain that remembers things, the muscle memory. And I find that really
2: fascinating.
0: Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that you do, with, I guess, with knitting, repeat the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, physical patterns don't you like thousands millions of times
1: which is also why it's difficult to if you've knit it for a long time I mean I work as a knitting teacher and if you try to learn a new skill say you've been a thrower your entire life and you suddenly have to you want to learn how to knit continental there is such resistance in your body because your hands automatically want to do something else and it's a, it's a really interesting battle between two parts of, of yourself wanting to do one thing and the other part wanting to do another thing mm.
0: I had learned to I re-taught myself how to purl actually because my mum taught me who's also Danish and she taught me a it's a, I don't know if that, I could do it now it's almost like doing a knit stitch backwards so the yarn is at the back still for the purl stitch I don't know if that's I've never come across anyone else who does it like that but then I saw how other people knitted on YouTube. It wasn't great for my tension. It was mm-hmm. making my pearl rose way too loose. And um, then I retaught myself a more classic continental pearl. Mm-hmm. And, but it it was like going very slowly. It was like when I remember learning to touch type and you can yeah. type a lot quicker with your two fingers, but you have to make yourself slow down. And then in the end it pays off, but
1: absolutely,
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, what were the first, it sounds like it's quite fiddly to make those tiny clothes you were making for the dolls that's quite a lot of skill involved in some ways that's harder than making clothes for absolutely, regular yeah. sized humans <laughs> <laughs> um so that was maybe a way of starting your self-expression using knitting and sewing
1: absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. and that's something I've realized um after the fact now when my grand went into a care home my mother found a whole bag of dolls clothes in the attic I actually have them now. And oh, wow. I have, I, yeah. And I, I, one of the knitted jumpers is a four ply cotton jumper, uh, Fair Isle, wow. three colors per row. And I sort of look at that and go, I was a very special child. Yeah. <laughs> um, at that stage, I think also my love of costume history had kicked in. So I was trying to recreate lots of historical costumes
0: okay yeah. so you, that's where you're taking inspiration from
1: yeah mm. Mm.
0: would you say that still influences your designs
1: now no not at all I mean one of the things I've got in my possession now is, is a dress that I made when I was about 11 which was a re-interpretation uh, of a gown that Elizabeth Taylor wore in the Keop- a film which is c- completely beaded Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. My love of historical costumes is one thing. What I do as a knitwear designer is very different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that sounds
1: amazing though, a lot of work. A lot of work. Um
0: yeah. and I've
1: sort of done uh crinoline sort eighteen of forties inspired stuff and eighteen seventies inspired stuff. I mean I was this is probably why I didn't get invited to a lot of birthday parties at school. <laughs>
0: it sounds like you know you must have had a great determination to figure out how to do all those things and very you know really kind of uh, to have a confidence in your own passions and just go and do those things when yeah. there was probably no one that could show you how to do that
1: no and I think this is something that we lose as adults when we start getting involved in fast is that we get the fear mm. uh, and we lose the ability to sort of say what happens if I just do it because uh as a child, I wasn't told I couldn't do a three colour per fair i 'll cotton jumper for my Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, if, if he told me I had to do that as one of my first projects, I would have gone, no,
0: oh, my God, no. Mm. And actually, that's the thing that's come up quite a lot with um, first projects is that I think when you go into something and you Maybe more naive. You don't really know what's hard and what's easy. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have an idea about this is a thing for a beginner or this is very advanced. Well. you just try it. You just try it, and maybe you lose that confidence. The more experience you get, you think, mm, I'm not sure I could manage that. But it's a shame, isn't it, that that we don't still go into things with the confidence we would have had when we. Yeah, first started. we're afraid
1: of failure, and I I think that's a real shame because it's through making mistakes that we learn. Um, I am that irritating teacher who will look at you and say, there's no such thing as a mistake, only a learning opportunity, uh, to which people usually groan. But it is true that it's only through us experimenting and trying things out that we grow as makers.
0: Hmm. But I also think so in the therapeutic knitting groups that I'm running with teenagers, Mm that knitting is a great way of practicing making mistakes because I think I've become much more tolerant of my own mistakes in the rest of my life because of just being you know excellent knitters make mistakes all the time I consider myself to be a really good knitter I unraveled the entirety of a sleeve last night because that's just how it
1: goes (laughs) absolutely absolutely I I I design knitwear for a living and I still unravel entire sleeves yeah um but there is that sort of whole thing about knitting Um, and it's a cliche but knitting should really just be how we live life we pick up our stitches and we unravel the bits that don't really work and then re-knit ourselves
0: yeah, I think that's a great analogy of unraveling the bits that don't work and reknitting ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I wanted when you when you restarted when you were mm-hmm. unwell. It sounds like that was quite powerful. The experience of being yes. able to do something when there were lots of things you couldn't do. Yes, and how did that kind of? It sounds like you had to probably go quite slowly to start Mm -hmm. with that you could manage a couple of stitches and I think often knitting is a great thing for when we can't manage much (laughs) to kind of get started of doing something I'm wondering whether that had an impact on how you were feeling kind of psychologically at the time to be able to do something and oh
1: it was such an incredible powerful experience from from basically being able to do nothing my my partner had to to feed me and clothe me and help me shower to be able to knit a couple of stitches and after a couple of weeks i had a scarf um and that scarf is not particularly pretty but i still have it because yeah. it's just yeah. such a powerful reminder of that journey i often think that knitting can be quite well it is autobiographical we knit ourselves into our makes We remember where we were when we knitted something or what happened during a make, uh, where we were, who we were with, why we started that project. And having that scarf just reminded me of being in a position of absolute powerlessness and then suddenly having that experience of being able to produce something and put something into the world and create something that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. and then having that thing afterwards and being able to wear it outside that was such a wonderful wonderful feeling um and then from there sort of going well I've made a scarf now uh what can I do next and then just going from there and exploring and you know I was able to start walking again and taking steps outside very slowly Uh, getting better and improving and as I was getting better and improving I could sort of I had my knitting to travel along with me and the projects became more and more complex um I still remember the time I knitted my first lace shawl and I was like this is wonderful this works with my brain my poor tired brain it's fantastic and it's still my greatest love, lace knitting. It's not something that I wear every day, excuse me. Um, but it's something I just, that just makes my brain ping. And having that experience of my brain, my tired brain, no longer being my enemy, but my support and my friend and being happy. That uh, I picked up this skill that's fantastic. And that's really what knitting means to me. It's that sort of whole realization of I can do stuff.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like it was a really tangible reminder that scarf of it mm-hmm. took you on a real journey from the very first stitches and your hands automatically casting that's, on. That's
1: one of the things that I found because I've had conversations with people during this lockdown period we've had who've picked up knitting it during lockdown and they suddenly could measure their days and their months mm. through the stitches they were making. Um, it is really a tangible example of, of time passing and our efforts. It's yeah.
0: Wonderful. And I think even if you have something like an item you've made in a time that was a difficult time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's still a, a thing. That's <laughs> a demonstration of having <laughs> survived those things or something that you could control when you couldn't control lots of other things
1: exactly exactly I mean there are bits bobs in my knitting boxes that I will never wear because they're reminders of bad times like a hat I knitted in a hospital waiting room I'll never wear that um, I'll keep it but I'll never wear that but otherwise there's some wonderful things stored in those things we make
0: yeah and how did that turn into your career presumably <laughs> um those first stitches of the scarf
1: well what happened was this was sort of in the infancy of Ravery, the knitted okay. website yeah. um and i started putting my projects up and about a year after i took those sort of first stitches in my bed i got a message from a uk yarn company called rowan Mm-hmm. said we've seen your work, you we know, is you're in a particular location, you're in Glasgow, Scotland, and we have a part-time job going, would you be interested in applying? And I applied and I got the job. So about 12 months after my first foray back into knitting, I was actually then working for a yarn company part-time. What happened then was I was uh, a design consultant for them, which meant it sounds really fancy. But what it meant was that I was training people on the ground uh, who were assisting customers with knitting queries. So I had to train those people. I had to uh, teach people how to merchandise the products. I had to deal with stock management. And we had a lot of beads in stock and retail stores do not like to have lots of things and stock and just sitting there. So I was asked to design a scarf that used beads and I said, I've never designed anything. And they were like, oh, I just do it. So I went home and did a scarf with beads and we gave the pattern away for free with purchase of beads and yarn. And that went really well. And they sort of said, could you try again to do something? Not with beads this time because we've gotten rid of the beads. <laughs> uh, and I went, Yes, I can do that. And that went really well. Um, and then my knitting group at the time had an indie dyer who was uh, old maiden aunt at yarns. Um, and they were going to London for a knitting festival and they were about to launch new yarn. So they said to me, Could you design something for that yarn? So I did that and put it up on Rathbury. And that paid my council tax that month from my first pattern. Oh, wow. which, yeah, that wouldn't happen now. was a bit no. more competitive now. Uh, but that was me going, whoa, okay. So within, how long did it take? Because then I started doing work for magazines and started teaching and started doing independent designing. And I think I stayed with Rowan for about five years mm-hmm. four years five years I can't remember anyway but ever since 2014 I have been doing this full time on my own sort of stumbling into yeah, it so really?
0: it wasn't even your idea
1: absolutely not that's that's the story of my library. Really. it's okay. never my idea it's just something
0: I stumble into and now I'm here doing it sounds it. like you've done a pretty good job of making it work though yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's how it started. It started quite quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, just because I put some pictures online.
0: Yeah. And a year after you would, had only just done it, you sounds like your partner didn't even know you as a knitter, really. They'd never we, seen you knit or?
1: Well, he did textiles at art school. So we've been talking, chatting about oh, okay. making stuff. He doesn't knit, he doesn't crochet. He does surface designing. Um, but we've been talking about textiles and gone to art and so on. So I've mentioned that. So when I got really ill, he remembered that.
0: Mm, but he'd um, never seen you knit. Before nope,
1: not no, not at, wow. at all. And it was just to get my my hands to do something. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And in terms of why you knit now, Carrie, why would you say you've carried on with it and run with it, other than people keep giving you ideas and projects and you've gone with them? <laughs> well, that is
1: pretty much how it is. Uh, People keep coming to me and going, could you not? And I go, oh, couldn't I? No. um, Why do I continue with knitting? I think because knitting is a fantastic tool for storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're all made of stories, one way or another. We're the stories that we tell about ourselves and we're the stories that other people tell about us and we inhabit a world of stories as well like that tree over there it could not just be a tree it's the tree where I fell off as a kid and broke my arm that's the story
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we all made a stories, and I think knitting is fantastic a fantastic tool for storytelling as I said previously knitting is almost autobiographical with you know we choose a yarn at a particular moment we are attracted to a particular color why is that what's that story um and we set a knit, and it takes time to knit it's not a quick fix things take time um and while that time is passing we live and those stories that we live through become part of our knitting like we remember that hat we knitted on holiday or the hat I knitted in the hospital waiting room that's all part of it and I'm really fascinated, fascinated by, by the potential for storytelling within knitting uh, it's not just ourselves but also what we could tell about other people I did a collection years ago called Dockerland which was about land art and psychogeography and archaeology and Mm -hmm. the um, Doggerland was a part of um, a landscape before the last Great Ice Age ended where there was a land bridge between the UK and Scandinavia where it grew up and people lived there it's now covered by water it's known as the North Sea Mm -hmm. but we still have fragments of the people who live there so I was really captured by that notion there being land between the two places I've called home in my life and I designed a shawl um, which has you starting off by casting on just a couple of stitches maybe six or seven and then you traverse you walk each stitch becomes a step and you walk the landscape and you become this sort of explorer of a landscape and the shawl grows Grows and grows, and you keep searching and you keep searching for a place to live or place to stay. It's just plain stop and stitch, and then you reach the edge, which becomes this really complex, interesting, intricate lace pattern, and just as you're sort of getting used to it and you're sort of leaning into that, you cast off and it's gone and That was inspired by the tsunami that wiped out the last bits of the doggerland's territory and mm-hmm. that idea of hunter-gatherers walking the land searching for new places to stay and just as they got comfortable everything was lost to them mm-hmm. and that sort of loss on the needles as well that loss that you feel as a knitter when you cast off something yeah. that you just become comfortable with that was something I really wanted to explore
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's an example yeah. of storytelling within knitting I have yeah. another shawl which was inspired by a Mesolithic grave with a young girl who buried there next to a very, very young child that's been uh, placed on a swan's wing. And we both know that swans are very protective of their young. Um, And I really love that image of the swan wing being protective and also soft. And I wanted to design something that was protective and soft. And comforting and shielding. And so, again, a shawl design. I do knit and design something else than shawls, but just these two styles. (laughs) Uh, That shawl design mimics not so much a wing, but the outline of a wing. And it's knitted in mostly garter stitch, which is the comforting stitch. You can imagine the rhythm of the garter stitch. And it protects you and it shields you. And when it's sort of Laid out flat, it looks like uh the outline of a swan's wing with mm-hmm. the, the structure of it there. And it's just that idea of us being able to tell these stories in knitting. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, uh us knitting away and making, oh, here's a pair of socks. You know, mm-hmm. you can actually in, imbue those socks with stories of your own mm-hmm. and thoughtfulness and think about, you know, each stitch representing a step, something you hands are moving and what does this moving entail and I think that's beautiful and I think that's why I keep going with knitting because it's it's so fascinating Hmm.
0: and you really sound like someone who has a very strong uh drive to design because it sounds like if you were just knitting other people's patterns you wouldn't be able to add so much of the story like there's a like as a designer you're kind of doubling the amount of story you can tell really can't you at least because you can Design the entire look of and the yarn and everything. Whereas, if you were just using other people's patterns, there would be less scope for that, I think.
1: Not necessarily, because if I were to use somebody else's pattern, I could still decide why I want to knit. Sure. Um, And I think of my own designing as a catalyst more than anything else. Mm -hmm. It's about empowerment and empowering the knitter knitting my work to. Think about their craft and think about their own skill set and think about why they're knitting. I think you can do that with a lot of patterns, but that's sort of my drive as a designer is positive yeah. to get people to reflect upon their own practice, hmm. as well as producing something that's beautiful, and nice to wear, hmm. but also just make them reflect or make you reflect upon what it is that makes us knit, because it'd be so much easier just to go out and buy it.
0: Yeah. And how does it feel when you see lots of different versions of your designs?
1: Oh, it's cool. It's really cool. But also, it's a privilege. Um, it's such a huge honour for me that people choose to spend time with my brain. Mm.
0: And it's a lot uh, of time, isn't
1: it? It's a lot project. of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I received quite a lot of emails from people who committed from my patterns. And i and. Privy to a lot of personal stories, and I'm very privileged privileged um, to hear those stories. And I, and they stay with me. There was a lady who emailed me right after the January sixth uh, attack on the Capitol in Washington in 2021, and she said she was she lived in Washington DC, and she said out she was knitting one of my patterns, and she was sitting all up uh, all night, and she just wanted to thank me for being there. Next to her, and that was such a lovely, fantastic message. And mm. our people coming up to you and saying, "Oh, I knitted this for my for my sister for her wedding," or "I knitted this for my child," or all these connections and all these stories that people share with me, and I'm very, very honoured. Mm. There's a sense of vulnerability there as well, and I think that's that's part of knitting as well. More open to sharing things when you're there with your knitting, chatting.
0: Yeah, and it's a way of connecting to people you just don't, you know, who are otherwise complete strangers mm-hmm. in a way, yes. isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's one of the absolute joy about doing this podcast is hearing people's <laughs> stories about knitting and hearing yeah. how much it means to people in very yeah. different ways, but still playing really important parts in their lives. And in terms of thinking about um, your kind of mental well-being, how mm. do you feel, like, what role does knitting have for you?
1: Oh, that's a big one. I uh, am just coming to the end of a long uh, series of therapy sessions for me. I've been in trauma therapy for a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had periods where I could not knit because I had to unravel a lot of things that happened to me as a young child that was tied up to my family Um, and making was such a big part of my family and my upbringing that I had a point where I went can I go back to ever making anything ever again and Mm. it's a huge huge loss that I would potentially lose that part of myself which is such a Big, integral part of me
2: mm. but
1: I did have to go through that whole process of of thinking can I continue making stuff because it's so closely linked to people and individuals and events in my life that were deeply traumatic
2: mm.
1: um, so that is something I've had to work at over the last year and I'm happy to say that I am now back to knitting and I'm yeah. now back to dressmaking and embroidering and all that. But for a second now rather than a few months, yeah. I had to I had to be on medical leave because I wasn't sure that I could return to my actual work ever again because it was so um how can I put it? It was it was so well closely linked to events in my yeah. life, in my young life. Yeah um but apart from that which is a whole other discussion um I would say that knitting has been there for me I've I've, all my life I've had periods of depression and anxiety and knitting has really helped with anxiety especially because there's that rhythm you talked about earlier It really keeps your brain from spiralling and going into places it shouldn't be. So I tend to take knitting with me when I'm going out and about and I have to be social because a lot of my social um, anxiety is tied up with social anxiety. So knitting really helps me there.
2: Mm.
1: And I can self-soothe with that rhythm on the needles. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a great thing about knitting, isn't it? You can take it with you to the doctor's appointment, or to mm-hmm. the pub, or the bus, or wherever mm-hmm. um, you need it. And I certainly always have mine with me as well. Um, does it matter for you what you're knitting?
1: Um, I in do order have, to get
0: that soothing thing. Oh, no, it, it I, I mean, I I would say something like
1: garter stitch. I find incredibly soothing because that rhythm. You just start going and. You, you keep going and you don't have to count and you can just sort of get into that sort of almost meditative space.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and I do prefer to do big rows rather than small things in the right. So you'll never really catch me missing sock. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, big long rows of garter stitch is very soothing. Okay.
0: So that's- um, yeah. Yeah. And are you back to designing
1: again? I am. Yeah, I am back to designing, um, and it's such a nice place to be again because I had that break where I sort of went, "Can I? Can I do this again?" Mm. It's. It was both scary because making stuff is what I do. Um, yeah. I. I bake. I cook. I garden, I do dressmaking, all these sort of paper craft. I just make stuff all the time. And then suddenly to think, what am I if I'm not a maker? Yeah. That was quite a big conversation I had to to have with myself. Um. It was a good conversation at the end of the day, mm. I would say, Um, because it made me realise how important it is. Yeah. Um, and it also made me have that urge to design again and going, what stories is it that I want to tell? Mm. And also realize that sometimes the story I have to tell is just, this cardigan's going to look so freaking good with those trousers. <laughs> you know, it doesn't need to be a big, complex story about identity or art. Sometimes it can just be, I really want a big, cozy jumper yeah' it's gonna look awesome and I have the perfect yarn in my stash
2: yeah
1: you know and and that has been a relief and I'm back to designing I'm designing a couple of garments at the moment um, I'm really into garment designing at the moment I don't know why possibly because I really enjoy the process
0: hmm.
1: of working out all the maths behind it
0: and is it important to you that the the things you design because it sounds like I love the idea about the stories that you're thinking about Mm -hmm. when you're getting your inspiration for the design and the stories that go into the making does it matter that it's does it make a difference that it's a wearable thing
1: yes because it does mean that we can have it on us at all times Mm -hmm. um I have exhibited knitted art pieces and it's never quite as satisfying I like the utilitarian aspect um of of designing things that you can wear mm. that you can keep with you at all times and you can have that moment of walking around going yes this world is terrible but I made this and this is awesome mm-hmm. um I had another short I don't know why I keep talking about shows, but I uh wrote a book about the um correlation between handmade and machine made uh, based in early modern printing and today's printing, essentially. So I had a shawl that was inspired by uh, illuminated manuscripts, and I had a giant, giant illuminated letter in the shape of shawl or shawl in the shape of illuminated letter. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what came first there and I just love the idea of you writing a text or a text dial and you walking down the street and at the moment women are told to, are told to sort of not really voice things and like not to have an opinion that we should be quiet and nice and I love the idea of somebody walking around with a shawl remembering mm-hmm that they have a voice, that they have agency, that they can make stuff, that they're walking around with text and a textile. Feeling, you know, sort of empowered by that and going, yes, you don't want me to speak up, but I am because I actually am awesome. I'm a maker. And I think that's also part of why I love knitting is that idea of making people realise they have a skill And they have this power of being able to make awesome stuff.
0: It's amazing, actually, that as a theme has come up quite a lot in the podcast, the idea of magic or superpower or like that that as a skill.
2: Um, Mm.
0: And also the idea, I suppose, on one level a bit is like self-expression, isn't it? It's kind of a a bit like art, but it's something you wear and you get more kind of uh opportunities i suppose to do the self-expressing in a public way i suppose when it's your jumper as opposed to if it was I i had a phase where i did some cross stitch but what i struggled with was what do you do with it
1: exactly exactly that's my problem with it, with it embroidery i don't
0: know what to do with it yeah whereas i love the fact that you know once i've done my you know knitted mm-hmm. my bright yellow jumper because that's what i wanted then I can wear it and it makes me feel 20% happier when I'm wearing something I nearly wore my
1: bright yellow jumper today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But no, there is that sort of whole idea
1: of of you figuring out who you are and expressing that and going out in public and going and feeling almost unassailable because you made that decision to make this thing. You had the skill to make this thing, and nobody can really say anything to you because it's like a shield as well it feels really cool i think Mm. to walk around and go oh this thing i made it myself um but also it's just such a powerful reminder that if you are like me prone to depression to have that tangible proof that you have the ability to make stuff happen that's fantastic isn't it
0: you know, when our brains, when we're feeling low in mood, often tell us very negative stories, don't they? And mm-hmm. it's harder to yeah. deny, you know, progress or a sense of achievement when it's something you can literally physically see and yes. touch. <laughs> I Which think is
1: a also lot- the brilliant thing about knitting as opposed to other crafts, uh, such as dressmaking, because with knitting, you can say, I've had a really terrible day, but I knitted 17 rows, mm-hmm. so go me. And it's those sort of little bits of self. Cheer self-praise, I think knitting really gives us, I think is so wonderful.
0: Mm. And you can do it from your bed if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the bus. Yeah. I always ask about a significant project. So that might be, I don't know, a design project or something you've knitted that has some special meaning for you.
1: I think a good example would have been the scarf. Yeah.
0: I think that's a great example.
1: But um, and I would just say my lovely partner went down and bought three bowls of Noral Silk Garden. I have no idea why, but it was quite a fancy yarn to use as my first project. Yeah,
0: but I guess he's a textile guy.
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. that's good yeah. skills. <laughs> he's also very, very fond of walking around going, Ooh, I recognize that yarn. Um, but no, another significant project. I don't know. I think I think every single one I make feels special to me. Um, at the moment I'm knitting a hot pink cardigan cropped with texture because in my wardrobe, hot pink is a neutral.
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, and yeah, and it's just, it's been quite a project. I think also i come to this possibly as a, with a different angle because I worked out all the maths
2: for it. I've braided
1: it in 11 sizes and I have this wonderful spreadsheet with 1,200 cells with numbers and I have to go in and just seeing that process from me knitting the first swatch going, oh, I like the yarn, oh, I like the colour, to me going, I have an idea for a cardigan and watching that whole process from, from starting from that little tiny swatch to me now sitting here knitting away on this beautiful pink cardigan that I'm gonna to wear to day in and day out. Yeah. Um and I think that it's difficult to, to pick out a special project because every single one has that story embedded within it.
0: And does it feel different that you're kind of you've returned to it when you at a time when you actually couldn't take that for granted? I suppose I wonder whether there is a slightly different feeling about that like you said you may be
1: appreciating yeah. it it feels more like a blessing mm. than it used to because i i stumbled into it i don't think i quite appreciated just how wonderful it feels because mm. i didn't have that time away to really sit down and appreciate it um and now it feels like a blessing that i have this ability to say I want a hot pink car to get I know exactly what it's going to look like and having fun in the process and having this whole story about why I'm making it it feels special it feels like a blessing that the brain is fired up again yeah. and it's not tied up to a lot of really complex emotions hmm. That I used to have about why I make because it yeah. used to be tied up in all the things I mentioned in the beginning of this this talk um, of this conversation that the poverty, the hardship, mm. all of those things, it's kind of been released from that.
0: So you've reclaimed it for yourself.
1: Exactly. And for
0: the joy of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. you're good. you're good.
0: <laughs> well, it was all you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just paraphrasing yes and it's just
1: it's been a journey to get to this point where I can yeah. say this, this is actually something I do because it's mine and it's me and not just because it's tied up in a whole lot of complex emotions mm.
0: and I think sometimes it's like everything isn't it that sometimes the hardest journey is like it feels like the biggest triumph when you've climbed to the top of that mountain mm-hmm. doesn't it uh-huh. like you said with all that maths you did for grading and yeah sizes feels the massive sense of achievement at the end of all that I'm sure I was I was an arts
1: graduate. Math doesn't come easy to me. Uh, so yeah, that was that was fun going,
0: yeah, I can do this. Yeah, excellent. Carrie, I always end with asking, what's the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? I know that's hard often to pin it down to one thing.
1: I would say it's actually given me life. Hmm. Um, knitting has given me hope. And Agency and a whole life. Um, when I wasn't that bad all those years ago and I cast on the first couple of stitches, I had no idea where it would take me. And knitting has really opened up a world of incredible people, mm-hmm. needing so many smart, wonderful, warm. Creative people that I would not have met otherwise. Um, it's given me a purpose. It's given me. Uh, I've travelled a lot through knitting. I've I've taught so many different countries, and I've really. Um, I mean, it's just been amazing to be able to go to these places and meet people. And hearing people's knitters' stories as well has been such a wonderful thing. And what has knitting given me? It's given me, a, it's given me pretty much everything I have now. Um, my life is very, very different because of knitting. And mm-hmm. that's the greatest joy. I think the greatest joy is really the people I've met uh, and how I've been led into a lot of people's lives which is fantastic and humbling.
0: Yeah, so it's really given you a lot of connections, like across the world, really.
1: Yeah, um, and friendships and love and trust and stories and all these things that I wouldn't have if we were not knitting.
0: And I love the focus on kind of storytelling through knitting. That's amazing. I mean, how much of that do you
1: publish with your pattern i do um when i do collections um i write essays um and this is also what knitting has given me it's given me a confidence in me as a writer mm. i write about other things than knitting now can you yeah. <laughs> um and um yeah I publish essays before or after each pattern in my collections, um, and I've been very lucky that I've been invited to work in an academic setting as well. Thanks to all these things that I've done with knitting as well. So my old pre everything uh, life, which was as an academic, is sort of met up now with my with my knitting life, mm. which is quite fun. Yeah
0: and that's similar I suppose to me bringing like like psych- my psychology career together mm-hmm. with knitting feels nice it feels like a very meanness. <laughs> my niche
1: <laughs> yes it's it's and I think that's also what's wonderful about knitting is that it allows for all so many different niches mm. um where I can I can nerd around and look up uh all sorts of weird references and write about it and get it to be about textiles and textile history and work as a consultant for various galleries and museums and universities and it's fun Mm. and it's it's amazing what those balls of you. yeah
0: amazing well Carrie it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your stories about your knitting and your life and if people want to find out more about you and your patterns how would they do that
1: well, they can find me online. I am at kerrybookish.net. That's k a r i e, and then bookish.net. I am also Kerrybookish on Twitter and on Instagram and on Patreon. And in real life, I'm not traveling so much at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty much semi retired from uh, teaching at festivals and all that. But you never know if I pop up.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're designing.
1: I'm designing and writing now
0: yeah and enjoying the hot pink cardigan oh god yeah i can't wait for that one <laughs> okay carrie thank you so much thank you as well it's been a pleasure thank you so much for listening to the why i knit podcast please don't forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps other people to learn more about the therapeutic benefits of knitting if you'd like to find out more about my work you can visit my website at therapeuticknitting.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at knittingistherapeutic. Thank you!